Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. joining the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. My name is Christine, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I would like to, there, our sponsor for today just chooses to stay um, anonymous. Uh, She is not in the program, but she is a huge uh, supporter of us in recovery. Um, You know who you are, sweet friend, and I'm so grateful for your support. Um, Today, we have um, a sister uh, in recovery on the show, um, Danielle Werner. Wainer. Wainer. Okay. I, I knew I probably was going to mess that up. So but thank you for your grace. Um, Danielle and I met on the intraweb. And, you know, I, I say this, gosh, it seems like pretty much every single show that there are so many resources. Um, you know, I, in my humble opinion, I am a, a practicing AA, um, you know, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think the mojo is in, you know, face-to-face meetings, but there are certainly resources for online meetings and just like anything else, um, and online groups, just like anything else, you know, go in, see if it fits and, and, uh, and contribute where you can. So Danielle, you are, you're, you live in Missouri, right? I do, okay. Kansas City. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, on the show, Danielle, we just we just kind of share our experience, strength, and hope um, to reach the person who still suffers. So what I'm going to say to you, my sister, is um, I'm just interested to hear all of the things. And I, I have not had a conversation with Danielle before. I don't know her story, so I get to hear it with you. So I would love to hear what it was like, what happened, and what you're like now. So tell me all the things about you. Well, um, I was born and raised in Kansas City, and I moved to the state of Michigan in 1990, and I lived there for 31 years. That is where I got sober, was in Michigan. And I recently moved back to Kansas City two years ago to be near my parents, who are both 89. And, And I'll tell you what, if it weren't for this program... I probably wouldn't be making this move because I would still be thinking selfishly, you know, selflessly. But um, so as far as what it was like, um, you know, I grew up in, you know, I was raised in Catholic school or, you know, as Catholic, Mm -hmm. Um, we went to church, you know, we were the middle-class family. Now were you Um, an only child? No, I have three siblings, oh, three okay. sisters, okay. and I'm, I'm the youngest. Oh, okay. I'm the baby. And um, anyways, so growing up, um, there was a lot of turmoil in our household. Um, my mom never drank. My dad, he drank periodically, and when he did, he got really mean. Mm. Uh, so, you know, that was that was not real pretty to see. And, um, so my parents got divorced when I was, I was 10 or 11. And, um, and then, you know, I didn't, didn't really have, I mean, I saw my dad every other weekend, but it wasn't like there was a a big, strong father figure in our family. And, um, I have a great relationship with him today, but through the, all those formative years, I really didn't like him. (laughs) You know, and um, I can't even believe I'm saying that, but I didn't. No, I get it. Um, but, you know, the first time I, my parents did have parties when we were growing up, but I don't, you know, and I remember people drinking and stuff, but I don't remember, um, I, I never tried to sneak anything or, you know, drink when I was little, but when I was 14, I was a freshman in high school. That was the first time I got drunk. And I'll never forget it. Um, I blacked out 
and I drank tequila and I had cheerleading tryouts the next day, had the dry heaves. I mean, it was horrible, but my thought was, it wasn't like, God, I never want to do that again. When I started feeling better, my first thought was, I can't wait to do that again. You know, that was, that was fun, you know? So, you know, in high school, you know, we would find the people that could buy the beer or whatever and party on the weekends. And so I was a little weekend warrior and, and I was, you know, I had looking back, I was totally, I had alcoholic tendencies then, you know, I was a little alcoholic in the making. And, and I, I truly believe that that happened the first time I took a drink. So you know, it, it kept going, you know, I kept drinking. Um, it, I just drank on the weekends. I never drank during the week. I, then I got married, you know, had some babies. And even, you know, when I, and I married a guy that liked to drink. Um, and we always drank on weekends. Then we had date night once a week where we'd go out and get drunk. And and I, it, we'd get drunk and then I'd go home and drink more, you know? So it was all building and you know I didn't know it at the time I didn't know it until I got into Alcoholics Anonymous and learned about all of my behaviors and and what they meant and you know I mean it's always the hindsight right Mm -hmm. but anyway so there it was always a party atmosphere always and um you know there were times I drove babysitters home drunk I was I was so fortunate that I never hurt anybody I never hurt myself. You know, I got a couple, I got a DUI um, one time and, you know, and that still didn't stop me. And that was in 1995 and it was, it was a block from my house. You know, I made up all the excuses. Well, I was bending down to get something out of the console and I went over the center line and, you know, all of the things that we do. But anyway, so fast forward, you know, I, I, my drinking escalated. Um, you know, we hung out with people that drank, you know, everything centered around alcohol, everything that we did that, that became our life. We joined benevolent orders that, you know, the drinks were cheap and you could go in and, you know, you felt safe going there because it wasn't a bar, all the things we tell ourselves. So fast forward, um, I, I couldn't take it anymore. It was, um, I ended up getting divorced in 2006 and that was horrible. And my, I started really circling the drain after that because my girls were in their teens at that point and um, they didn't want to live with me. Mm. They wanted to live with their dad. And, you know, and I made up all the reasons that, you know, well, he needs them around because he's lonely. He bought a bigger house. They want to live in a bit, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, it wasn't mm-hmm. that at all it was because mom was drunk. Right. And so that was 06. And then, of course, I met somebody after I got divorced, a couple of months after I got divorced. And and he was a big drinker, too. I just jumped out of the frying pan back into the fire and. And that went, that relationship went on and shoot, I got sober finally in uh, September of 2009. I I went to my first AA meeting and um, I haven't picked up a drink since. But, you know, I mean, the road that it took me to get from where I was to where I am, you know, it's never pretty. It's never pretty. You know, there was a lot of abuse that happened in my past. Um, that I never dealt with. And I'm, I'm not blaming any of that on why I drank. I drank because I'm an alcoholic, mm-hmm. first and foremost. I think some of the situations could have escalated it, you know, I mean, in my head I, that I blamed it at that point in time, I was blaming those things as to why I was drinking. But now I know I, I drank alcoholically because I'm an alcoholic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But, you know, once I got sober, um, you know, things started turning around for me as I, you know, I stayed in the middle of the herd. I got a sponsor. I worked very closely with her. I went to two meetings a day when I first got sober. My first year, I went to two meetings a day. I opened meetings. I chaired meetings. You know, I stayed so close to the program and the fellowship and, 
you know, reading the literature, all the things they tell us to do, read the literature, get a sponsor, go to a meeting, you know, pray all of the things. And, and then, um, and the person that I went in with was the guy I was dating. Um, you know, we were drunk for two and a half years, three and a half years together. And then I got sober. Um, he tried and, and we continued that relationship with me sober for three and a half years and him and he, he was in and out of it, of the program. So was and, there, let, let me ask you, Daniel, real quick. <clears throat> was there something that occurred that took, brought you into the room or what, what was that last day like? I mean, what, what was that? Okay. I'm done. Or I've, I've, I've had enough or I just, I can't, what, tell me about that. A great question. Um, yeah, I was just, I was up and down all the time in the relationship that I was in and we were looking for a way to help us, you know, thinking, well, maybe if we quit drinking, that will help us. Um, did you think you were an alcoholic at the time? Oh, I knew I had a problem, Okay, but so I, okay. I didn't, I didn't know that I was an alcoholic. Gotcha. I just, I knew I drank too much. I knew it was, you know, I was missing things with my girls. I, you know, I was, knew it was I was a not problem. Being, oh, there was a big problem. Yeah. You know, I wasn't being the mom I wanted to be. I wasn't being the, the, the significant other that I wanted to be. Gotcha. I didn't like who I was becoming when I looked in the mirror. I didn't even know who I was looking at. Um, yeah, I didn't like my life mm -hmm. at all. And what precipitated all of that was the relationship that I was in. He actually asked me if I wanted to go to a meeting with him. And I was like, why? And he said, well, maybe it'll help us, you know? And I was like, well, I'll do anything, you know, to see if it'll help, mm -hmm. you know? Um, Cause that, that relationship, it was very, it was tumultuous as sure. well. You know? Sure. And you know, everything was based on drinking there too. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that that lifestyle wasn't serving me anymore. And there had to be something better out there for me, you know, and I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to do it. Um, so I, we went to our first AA meeting and I walked, you know, I sat in the parking lot thinking, well, these women are going in in yoga pants this has got to be a yoga class or something, you know, <laughs> but I, I it's went in idea. And... Hey, you know what, maybe you're onto something, Daniel, maybe we need to start an, an AA meeting where we do yoga at the same time while we talk about the steps. No, it's, it's brilliant. That's actually yeah. two birds with one stone thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be fun. That would be fun. That could be really fun. Oh my but anyway, I went to that first meeting and, um, I, you know, I'm scared out of my brains or out of my wits, right? Because I've never, I've never done anything like this. It can be and, scary. It can be scary. Yeah. Oh, it was scary walking through those doors. But I'll tell you what, those people made me feel so welcome. Mm. And, and, you know, it, it was a blessing. I, I sat at a table. There was a, two older ladies um, and... You know, one of them gave me a meeting guide that back when we had the yes. meeting guide, book, yes. she wrote her phone number in it. And I still have that meeting guide to this day because that lady is now my sponsor. Oh, she wasn't, she wasn't my original sponsor though. And that, that's a cool story too. She, um, I found a different sponsor that I worked with for about five years and she moved to a different state and just kind of fell off the face of the earth. And I felt like an orphan. Oh, I bet. And so I was sponsorless for about a year, Ooh. and which was a long time. And so I reached out to the, and I, I always sat at tables with this, this same lady that gave me that book at my first meeting. And I asked her, I said, would you be my sponsor? And she was like, I'd be honored. And she's my sponsor to this day. Oh, that's wonderful. Because what, tell yeah. me, remind me your date. September 20th, 2009. Nine. Okay, got it. Got it, got it. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's I celebrated wonderful. 14 years this year. Wow. It can yeah. be, it can feel like a million years and just yesterday, huh? Absolutely. Isn't it beautiful how that works? It, it is, you know, but when we take it one day at a time, as we, as the program suggests, you know, it's just the 24 hours in front of us. That's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And those 24 hours, those days add up to weeks, add up to months, add up to years. And, 
you know, I, I never knew I could have such a beautiful life, you know, and, um, but I'm living it though. Mm-hmm. How's, yeah, your relationship I'm, I'm so grateful. With, how's your relationship with your kids? Oh my gosh. It's beautiful. Like beautiful. You know, I'll, I'll never forget when I got my 30 day coin, my oldest was at, um, the university of Michigan and I went out to visit her and we were at the Michigan theater it was kind of dramatic because we're standing on this big staircase and, you know, it's, it was just a really cool setting and I, it wasn't like planned or anything, but she didn't know. I didn't tell anybody that I wasn't drinking because I didn't know if I was going to fail, mm. you know? So I, I had my 30 day coin and I showed it to her and she started crying. Oh. She's like, Mom, I'm so proud of you. So to answer your question, my relationship with my daughters today is beautiful. You know, it, it took time to repair. Nothing happens overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did a lot of damage, even though me as an alcoholic thinking I wasn't hurting anybody but myself, you Isn't know, crazy how we think like that, mm-hmm. but it's so oh, yeah. real and, and it's, it, it, yeah, you couldn't have convinced me that I was hurting anybody else back then. It, it just, I could not, I could not see outside of the hole that I was down in to see that anybody else was even around, let alone I was doing damage to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's how it was for sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, today, you know, they're, they trust me implicitly, you know, with my grandkids, I'm the only grandparent that doesn't drink. So They trust me to have the boys spend the night. You know, I knew if I was drinking, none of the things that happened today would be happening. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I could, I'm sure I could visit them, but I wouldn't be able to be alone with them, you know, and that would be really sad, but we we don't have to worry about that. Yeah, that that would be awful. That would be awful. So, so are you still in that marriage then? No, no, I got divorced in 2006 and then I, and I never remarried. I was, I was engaged to the guy that gotcha that I met after I got divorced. We got engaged, I don't know, two years later, but then we got unengaged, you know, we were, it was all the drinking mess. Yeah. And then, and finally, after I was sober for three and a half years and he was in and out, I finally kind of grew up emo, you know, that emotional sobriety. Um, And I, I just said, you know, I, I, I was learning healthy boundaries. Um, I I didn't want that in my life anymore. I just, I had to release him with love, Mm -hmm. so to speak, Mm -hmm. you know, to to this day, I thank him on my, um, I call it my sober bursary. Um, I thank him every year for taking me to that first meeting. Wow. So that's interesting, Daniel, that you mentioned that because I actually did a show. I don't remember which which episode it was that that um, I had a gentleman on that start, had started a emotional sobriety uh, meeting where he lived. So for people that are listening that don't know what that is, what is emotional sobriety? Well, to me, it is, you know, we can we can get rid of the drink and be sober physically. Mm-hmm. Um, but we. But there's, there's so much inside of us that we have to deal with um, emotionally and grow up. You know, when I came into this program, I was 40-something years old chronologically. But emotionally, I was the age I was when I started drinking. I was 14 years old, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. You know? And it, to me, you know, it's, it's really taking care of me spiritually you know, my relationship wise, um, you know, I went through a lot of counseling. I, I sought outside help, you know, as well. And, but, you know, what it boils down to for me is you can be in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and get sober from the drink, but we've got to grow up. We've got to learn how to treat other people right. It's like getting out of self it's be from it's it's going from being selfish to being selfless mm-hmm. for me um that's how i think of emotional sobriety you know because i i can i have to really stay on the spiritual beam if i get knocked off of that 
I'm, I'm emotionally in turmoil. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it's really, it's, it's very important for us alcoholics to remember that we have to stay spiritually fit, you know, because that that's a huge component to our program. And, and if I'm, if I'm not in that good spiritually fit condition, my chances of making poor decisions are heightened, mm -hmm. you know, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and then, you know, that's where, you know, you, you can hear the the term dry drunk, you know, and, and I think that the recognizing the huge difference between being sober and being either in recovery or recovered, our, our literature says we have recovered from a hopeless sense, right. you know, um, I don't want to just be sober. To me, that's hell, right? Um, to me, without a solution, because you and I, I didn't realize, Danielle, how much how much our story is similar. I was in my early 40s when I came in. I was a little bit younger than you when I had my first drink, but um, I, too, had a father that was alcoholic, you know. And, um, yeah, emotionally, looking back now, after learning what I've learned through the sponsor, through the steps, through our literature, um, and the people in the program, um, I, I can see, you know, exactly what you're saying that, you know, I froze at the, the age that pretty much, the, uh, you know, an, an, an initial trauma for me, um, I, you know, and then subsequently starting to drink. But yeah, emotionally, I hadn't developed. So my reaction at a, you know, at a 40 year old woman reacting like a, you know, a five year old to things that happen, you know, with a uh, you know, basically temper tantrum. There's no way to decorate that pretty, you know? I mean, um, and, and it wasn't until I got into recovery that, you know, I could, I could reflect on that and see where, you know, oh, yuck. Yeah. It just, it, yeah. And, and, and it is, it, it is a day-to-day -day thing. You know, my, my spiritual health is is predicated on the on me taking you know I've said it on the show before me taking the medicine you know air quote you know which is the 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 program of, of recovery um, where I'm staying in contact with my sponsor and you know active in my group and I'm getting out of self because man left left to myself it's gross it's just right. gross between my ears leave me alone in there for a while and i just i need a straight jacket i mean it's you know that's a scary place to go so a bad neighborhood <laughs> it is a very scary neighborhood yeah you don't go in there by yourself after dark so so how do you, how do you start your day every day i read my reflections i get you know this is so funny my my sponsor my first sponsor told me she gave me a list of things to do every day and, um, you know, and, and when, when you start doing things on the daily, after a while, they become habits. Mm -hmm. So she used to tell me, you know, get on your knees and pray. And I was like, for real? She's like, yeah, the easiest way to do that is throw your keys under your bed. So you got to <laughs> so you gotta get under your bed to get them and then you'll be kneeling. And I was like, oh, okay, I have a platform bed. That won't work for me. Yeah, I had every excuse in the book. But um, I started doing it. I started praying every morning. I read my reflections. I read out of the big book. I thank God. You know, the first thing I do every day, first and foremost, is always remember that I'm an alcoholic. Mm. No, I have to. That's got to be first and foremost for me. Mm. If I forget that, and I'm in deep trouble. Mm. So, you know, and I, I work with my sponsor on a weekly basis. Um, she's in Michigan. I'm here. So we Zoom every week still. I sponsor people. I go to meetings. Um, I found a really cool home group here in, in Missouri. And, you know, when you grow, I, like I, I said earlier, I got I got sober in Michigan and those people were my family. Yeah, you know, I miss them terribly. And that's how this fellowship is. Mm. We are such a close group, you know, and I still talk to my friends. I visit them when I'm in Michigan and I go to meetings when I'm there. You know, it's you, you never forget those people. They are the ones helped you through the fire, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so what, I always start, go, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. you go ahead. I was going to say, I just, I always start my day with prayer, meditation, you know, all the literature. It's just, it, it's the things that I learned in the very beginning 
they've become habits, you know? Yeah. And I, yeah, it's funny because in my family, it, people know, I call it doing my paperwork because I had to come up with a term of the time that I, I need quiet. I need to be left alone. So now it's not only a habit, it's almost ritualistic in the sense that it's like, we don't bother mom when she's doing her paperwork. You know, it's like, I spend that time building the foundation that my day is going to be built on. Because if it's, mm-hmm. if it's not a strong foundation, just like you said, I, I'm, I'm in danger, right? I'm in, mm-hmm. I'm in danger of not, not necessarily going and getting a drink, but acting alcoholically, which is selfishly and, and, you know, and, and then I have to make amends and nobody likes to do that. Um, so what did you think recovery was before that gentleman invited you to that first meeting? What, what, what did you think? What did you what did you think? You know, I, I, I really didn't know what to think, but, um, this is kind of silly, but I really, you know, we went, we went in for relationship issues. We know, I mean, I know now AA is not the place for that. <laughs> <laughs> no. We're not experts on relationships. Oh We're experts on alcoholism, <laughs> right. but I thought, well, our relationship's going to get better and they're going to have to they're going to teach me how to drink responsibly. And they failed at that. Did they not just fail at that miserably? <laughs> oh I mean, seriously. <laughs> I thought that exact same thing too. Oh my gosh. That's nuts. <laughs> so funny. Well, you know, it's the insanity, right? It is the insanity. Yeah. I, I say that too. That's so funny. I said that in my home group not that long ago. It's like, I came in here thinking you people were going to give me the secret because I'd already tried you know, only drinking wine, only hated beer, only drinking mixed drinks, only drinking, um, you know, after four o'clock, which I failed at miserably. Um, only, 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 and nothing worked. So y'all had to have an only surely that would stick with me and teach me how to drink responsibly. Well, right. it didn't work out like that. No. <laughs> it did not work out like that. It didn't work uh, out for me either. Yeah. Thank God. What, um, so, cause I have just a, li- a little list of questions that I throw at every now and then. What advice would you give a loved one of someone that is lost in the disease of addiction? Hmm. You know, I, I, I have someone in my family that is, and I personally know that they have to admit that they have a problem. And a lot of people don't want to admit that. And, you know, that's our first step in recovery is admittance, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's a tough one because we've tried intervention, you know, we've tried a lot and it does, it's not worked. And the only thing, I mean, to talk to somebody who is in their active addiction, it's like talking to a wall, nothing sticks, you know? you can't get through to them or I can't get through to my particular sibling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and in the days that they're not messed up, um, whether it's either alcohol or pills, you know, it's one or the other or mm-hmm. both together. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I've tried to, I, I've asked her to come to meetings with me. Um, she doesn't need, she doesn't need that. She's not an alcoholic. You know, I, I always get the pushback. So, you know, I love them, love the people, you know, it's, I, I've always been taught and it's so true. It's not the person, it's the disease. Don't hate the person, hate the disease. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's, it's sometimes that's hard to separate, especially when the person is not they're, they're being very, they're being terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, they're things they're acting, you know, just not the person, you know, who they are or can be. And, and that, it, that, it just hurts, you know, to see that and to watch that mm-hmm. because I've been there. I was that person, you know, and I, and I know there's a way out, but I know that you have to want it so bad personally nobody else can make you get sober you have to want to get sober mm-hmm. so m- my advice is you know man 
you know, I, like I said, I, I've asked her to come to meetings. I, I'm just, I just love her where she's at right now. Mm-hmm. Until she's ready, there's nothing else I can do, you know? Well, and- I mean, we, we take them booze away, we take them pills away, you know, you, you do all the things. And this is a person that's almost 70 years old. So I'm like, and you just want to, you just want to shove it down their throats. It's like, don't you know that you don't have to live like this? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, <clears throat> you know, but it's one of those things that my sponsor said to me early on. And this was, this was not about another person in, in the throes of addiction, but this was just about another person that I had, um, issues with. Um, she told me, and it still just gives me chills. She said, stay out of God's way. Stay out of God's way. You do what you can, you know, and, and our founder, um, 88 years ago, Mr. Bill Wilson, his beautiful wife, um, one of the founders of Al-Anon. If you are if you are listening and you have a loved one that is in the throes of addiction, please seek out Al-Anon. Uh, well, I don't need a minute. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Because you need to figure out how to take care of you while that alcoholic addict is spinning, right? Because we, as alcoholic addicts, we'll take people with us. We'll bring them down with us. And it's one of those things where my husband, I remember when I found out that he had gone to an Al-Anon meeting, you'd have thought he'd have cheated on me. I mean, seriously, because it's like, and, and I remember, I know now consciously, but I remember that feeling of, oh, crap. If he's not worried about me and focusing on me, that might mean I have to. Ew. I don't, you know, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, But the fact of the matter is, is no one could have, they tried taking the alcohol away from me. They tried taking the pills away from me. I found more because I'm a, I was a liar. I was, I was manipulative. Honey, I could find a way. I could find a way. You know, and so it's one of those things where my husband, and, and he, you know, he's been on the show a couple of times. He'll, he's self-admitting the great enabler. He just, he almost loved me to death, you know, because he wanted to make me happy. And he was going to, he was going to teach me how to drink responsibly, you know. And, and but, but, and, and you might, you know, we can laugh and, ro- and, you know, I roll my eyes at it now. But that was a real thing. He truly, I mean, he was in his own hell dealing with me. And when he went to Al-Anon, and started learning how to take care of himself emotionally and 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 he had other people you know he didn't feel alone anymore um that's when things really started to change it, for us because i mean he was just like if if you're going to kill yourself it'll break my heart but i can't stop you i can't stop mm-hmm. you you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to hand you, you know, a bottle of vodka or which was the equivalent, at least for me as a loaded gun. Um, but, but I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not, you're not going to take me with you. So if that's what you got to do, you know, just like you said, I love you from afar. And when you've had enough, hopefully I'll be here to help you. Um, I still love you, but I don't have to, I don't have to watch this, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I know that the, the family members, it can be just as much, just as much of a hell. And I'll tell you, my sponsor, my sponsor, and I was only, Danielle, I was only about, oh goodness, I was probably three months sober when she, when she suggested that I go to an Al-Anon meeting just to see the other side of it, you know, and girl, I know this, I know I shouldn't even say this, but I, I sat down and I, I, I felt like, oh man, I felt like a fish out of water. They were, they felt like they were so serious. I know that they weren't. That's how I felt, right? I felt like they were talking about me, which kind of sort of they were, but not really. Um, but, but, and, and I remember just going, I want y'all to get in the car and let me take you down to, to my meeting, you know, and to my people where we just, we laugh at the most inappropriate things. You know, I mean, if a normal person were to walk in the room at some of the stuff we laugh at, they'd probably have us committed. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those things that it's a it's a beautiful program. And so if you if you have a loved one, 
that is suffering from the disease of addiction, do do seek out Al-Anon. You can you can Google and find an Al-Anon meeting pretty much anywhere you can find an AA meeting, um, any any town. Or they also have online online uh, resources too. Um, so let me see, what else do we want to talk about, sister? Um, so has anyone gone with you into recovery? Like, like for instance, my daughter particularly, and Rick, my husband, have gone with me in the sense that they know, the girl, they can program me, and I don't like it. I mean, Rick, you know, every now and then, Rick is like, well, maybe you need to surrender this. And I'm like, don't, you're not my sponsor. Don't talk to me like that. You know, but but so has, but they've benefited from the things that I've learned through the steps. And my husband loves our program. He loves our community. Um, we go mm-hmm. to conferences, and I mean, he just he just meshes right with with all of us. But is there anyone who has gone through basically through recovery with you as far as that goes? Well, my my girls. Um they didn't, they didn't go, you know, of course, when I was brand new, I was telling them they needed to go to meetings with me and they needed to go to Al-Anon. They needed to do this. They needed to do that. They didn't do any of it. Mm -hmm. But what they did do was, you know, as I was growing up (laughs) in the program, I would talk a lot about it and they loved that. They loved the aspect. They, they loved to watch the change in me that, that they could see. And, and, and if I was off on something, they'd look at me and say, mom, you need to go to a meeting. Oh, no, they <laughs> didn't. <Ooh. laughs> I heard that more than once. <laughs> oh, that now. See, yeah, those are da- those are dangerous words. Those are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Words, but yeah, they knew. usually true, but dangerous words. <laughs> oh, they were always true. It was all, they were always spot on. I'd look at them and I'd say, it's, you know, if, if I was not in the program and, and fit, spiritually fit when they would say something like that. It, let's just say I, I, I'd be like, yeah, oh, it could have totally gone down, mm-hmm. you know, but I look at him and I say, you know what? You're right. I'll see you later. How funny. Well, and, and, and yeah, Rick was on the, sh- on the show not long ago and, and we were talking about how he, um, he had early on, he had met a, a lady who's a pillar in my home group. Her name is Anna. And, um, and he just, she's four foot nothing. Uh, and, um, he just thought Anna was just the coolest thing since last bread. And so now going on 12 years later, uh, it, you know, like for instance, it, I was at a meeting just earlier today and it's been over a week since I've been to one. I usually get to go to two or so a week, you know, but Rick can come in and he'll, he'll just, you know, be piddling on, around my desk or something. And he'll say, how's Anna? And I'll go, Oh. I don't know. I haven't talked to her in a while. And that will just make me think meeting. And, you know, it's his way of saying you need to go to a meeting without me saying that. Because I would scratch his eyeballs out. I mean, easy. Yeah, I would eyeballs straight out if he were to say that to me in certain moments. But him saying, how's Anna? You know, that's just a way that now I know what he's up to because he shared with me. But but it's his gentle way of... of uh, of, of kind of nudging me towards my group to get a nudge. Yep. If I've, if I have run off the beam somehow. Um, <laughs> so what was your, what was your biggest surprise when you, when you got into recovery? Was there a big oh, surprise? Wow. Well, yeah. How cool everybody was, you know, I, my picture in my head of what an alcoholic is was looks like um you know is the bum mm-hmm. under the bridge paper bag. you know out of a brown paper bag and mm-hmm. and the, i think you know the biggest surprise was everybody that i you know surrounded myself with in the rooms they're all professional people that they're, they're clean <laughs> they're very we're not a glum lot as mm-hmm. the book says mm-hmm. now you know it just i was i was amazed at how how we all we truly can contribute to society you know in a very positive way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when i it wasn't the picture i had in my head at all yeah that, that was a big surprise you know and it, it was just like that everybody was so nice and so warming and so welcoming and like you know i mean it was the only place that wanted me around you know <laughs> Wow. I got kicked out of bars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you go, but they kept telling me to come back. 
you know, and it was like, oh, I kind of like this place, mm-hmm. you know. And so that was to me that was a real big surprise because I had no I had had no idea what I was walking into, you know. Yeah, I think I think you're I think you're not unlike most of society when they think about alcoholic addicts. You know, they think mm-hmm. about the homeless person or you know, like you were talking about someone who's under a bridge, you know, kind of thing and and that's so far that's so far from from the reality of it. You know, when oh, yeah. when you when you get into the rooms and you finally and I remember for for me, I remember that, um, you know, March 14, 2012 is, is my date. And I remember going into my home group. Oh, stop it. <laughs> we're, we're comparing fingernails. <laughs> She's got candy cane stripe on hers, too. I love you already. <laughs> now I got to get you a pair of glasses. <laughs> I, yeah, you do. They're, re- they're readers. <laughs> I have a little hat, though. I mean, we could... We can put this Let's on. Do it, girl. I'm telling. See, there you go. There you go. We're not a glum lot. But I, I remember going into into the room and sitting down when I was when I had really because I'd been going to the meetings for about six months before my final um, my final drunk was a Sam sized bottle of Listerine, and it almost killed me. And then I had plans of taking my life. And anyway, um, so but I remember marching up those stairs on March 14, 2012. And sitting down and having the the most conscious thought that I think I'd ever had in my life, that I belonged. I belonged. Mm-hmm. And I had never in my 42 years been able to say that anywhere. I had always tried to fit in, right? I, no matter where I was or what I was doing, I was always trying to fit in. Right. And fit the mold that you think thought I needed to be, or that I felt I more importantly that I felt I needed to be in front of you, but for the first time, I belonged somewhere, and I could breathe. And I think that was the very first time in my entire life I took that deep breath. You know what I'm talking about, right? When if if you're if you're you know new to recovery and and you're just going into rooms. Pay it, don't don't look at people's boobs, but pay attention to their chest. You know, when they sit back and they take that deep breath that just is, I mean, it's just amazing. That's their body saying, Yes, I belong. These are mm-hmm. these are soul to soul, honest people that I'm safe with. That it's just there's I just I'm so grateful I can barely even stand it when I, you know, the I don't know. This is this is such a this is such an amazing way of life, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That that is, um, you know, the the statistics of how many of us don't make it. They don't make it into the rooms, you know. Um, I think when I, I chaired a big fundraiser for a local um, recovery center a few years ago, and I think I think the the statistic back then was 17% of us survive it, you know, um, because if you're a true and, and if you don't know what that means, get in, get a book of Alcoholics Anonymous and it will tell you what that means. If you are a true alcoholic addict, it only ends one of two ways, one of two ways. That's it. Either recovered or death. Yeah. You know, and and death death could not only mean you know uh, worm food, uh, but death could also be just a spiritual death, just just spiritually dead inside. You know, to where you have a miserable exen- existence, you make everybody around you miserable, and you just want to die. <laughs> you know, I mean that's that's how I had gotten to. That's what I had gotten to. I just wanted to die because I was drinking against my will. Mm-hmm. You know. And I didn't know how to stop it. And it, yeah, it was just such a, such a mess. So let me ask you this. This is a big one. When you got through the steps to eight and nine, did you make an amends to anybody that it wasn't received or accepted? Actually, no. I, you know, I lived in Michigan at the time and, um, I, I made an amends trip back here to Kansas City. And I mean, I made my amends to my daughters. Um, 
not, you know, I wanted to do it early on as we all do. We yes, all sir. want to say we're sorry and all that, but my sponsor guided me to, no, not yet. You, you <laughs> programs, you know, I mean, the steps are in order. So um, I remember my, my youngest daughter, she graduated in 2010 and I was throwing her senior party or, you know, at my house mm-hmm. and um, I was scared to death. You know, I'd only been sober, what, 10 months. And, you know, there was a keg of beer there, you know, but I, I had other friends from the program already there with me by my side, helping me. Smart. And yeah, I mean, well, they always say, you know, stay in the middle of the herd, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be on the outline, you know, cause you can get lost. Right. But, um, but no, so my, my kids received the amends very well. Everybody back home, my sisters, my nieces, my mom, my dad, um, no, I can't, there was not one that, you know, spit in my face or didn't accept my amend, which I know that's not, it doesn't happen like that all the time for people. Um, I felt pretty fortunate that it happened with, it, it didn't happen to me, you know, where people didn't accept, but I, yeah, I have heard that. Why did it, did that happen to you? You know what I did? Um, no, not necessarily. Um, I, I, I do have family members that um, um, are still spiritually sick themselves, and mm-hmm. the, the relationship is just not what I would love for it to be. But just like with your family member, we're gonna, I'll love them where they are, and I'm staying out of God's way. And if there's anything that I can do to be of service or help, I'm willing or, you know, and, and it says also, or, or at least my sponsor told me that, you know, if at any point someone comes to me and says, hey, you did this to me when you were in active addiction. And, you know, th- at that point, I'll, I need to make a proper amends. Then I'm open to do that, too, you know. But, but no, I, but I, yeah, I've, ha- I've heard some horror stories. But, but, but that's, that's not what the, you know, that's just like I was talking about earlier. That's not what the amends is for. You know, my, my amends is not for you to, you don't even have to respond, you know, um, it's, that's not, it's, it's planting that seed. It's, it's putting down the guilt and shame that you've been carrying. And if that's not received by someone, then that's, I have no control over that either. So that, that was a, a huge thing. Cause I know I was scared to death, which unjustifiably. So I was scared to death to make some of these amends because I just knew in my infinite wisdom of, bleh, you know, I just knew that, that I was going to get spit in the face and, and, you know, rejected and, you know, right. told to go fly kite and what have you, which couldn't be further from the truth. That was my stupid mind. Um, right, the stories we tell ourselves. But the the one sibling that is still active in addiction, um, she's the one the the amends I made to her. Um, everybody else was like, "Thank God you're, you know, we got our aunt back, we got our sister back. We got, we're so happy, you're sober." That particular sibling was, you know, gave pushback, you know, and I knew I had to listen. I knew I had to just let her say whatever it was she wanted to say. And um, it, so, I mean, it, but it wasn't like she wanted to pour gas on me or anything, you know, she just, she, she just still had to get her two cents in, which was fine. Sure. But I can tell you something, just like three months ago, that particular sibling was drinking champagne and offered me a glass of champagne. Ooh. And I, I, I lit her up. I said, I, first of all, I said, I, number one, I can't believe you just asked me if I wanted a glass of champagne. Well, I didn't want to be rude. And I said, you know, what's rude is offering me that champagne. Mm-hmm. And I left, I left the house. It was my mom's house. I left the house because of that. I thought I'm, I can't, I don't want to be around this right now. Came home, started reading my big book. You know, I mean, it, it, it can be the littlest thing that can throw you off, you know, and set, and I don't, I don't want that. I don't want, I don't want to be in an unfit place. Right. You know what I mean? Right. 
I love and, that you ran back to the program. And and again, now looking back at that, you can look and, and see that she, just the spirit, you know, it's, it's hate the disease, not the person. It's one of those things that, you know, misery loves company. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. if I can pull you, if I can pull you into my spiritual sickness, maybe it's not so bad. Right. You know, and I'm so glad you were able to take care of yourself through that. That, yeah, that was, that's a low blow. And here's the deal. She probably doesn't even realize she did it. And you know, you know, I didn't realize, she realized what that she offered the drink, but doesn't even realize she just, she doesn't know she's in that hole so far down, you know, that you just, you can't, you can't see, you just can't see. And that's where a lot of people it's, it's, you know, and, and that's, that's what kills a lot of people because they know they're so far down in that hole and they're scared shitless to come up and see what's out here because they Mm -hmm. think that everybody's going to reject them. They think that everybody's going to spit in their face and reject amends or, you know, they're just, they're not even willing. And it's so further, it's it's so far from the truth. Right. You know, for the most part. Um, What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is for me, (laughs) you know, because just, you know, what does just that because mean? I, what does that mean? Well, because just because I forgive someone doesn't necessarily mean I want to be around them. Forgiveness for me is letting that stuff go, dropping all of that. I don't need to carry their crap around with me, mm-hmm. right? All it does is burden me down when I'm and it's extra weight on me. Whatever, you know, for instance, I was abused by an uncle when I was really little. And all of that came to light, oh gosh, when my girls were wanting to go to spend the night at friends' houses. And I, I'd freak out. I couldn't figure out why I was like, I didn't want them to go, mm-hmm. you know? And I had a breakthrough in counseling. And, you know, I mean, I had buried all that stuff. But when I got into recovery, and I hated my uncle. Didn't want to be around him. Didn't want, you know, I, who would be? But I learned I had to forgive that person because all it was doing was hurting me if I didn't forgive him, you know, carrying that around. But just because I forgave him doesn't mean that I want a relationship with him. I'm doing it for me to ease my pain, basically. You know, so forgiveness for me is, is it's, it's not a, it's, a, you know, and I know this isn't a selfish program, but forgiveness is for the self, you know, and, and we have, if I don't forgive, then I'm still got, you know, I'm still going to be walking around with all of this crap. And then I'm not spiritually fit. I'm not emotionally sober. I, you know, I mean, it, it can all crumble, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, that was a learned, I had to learn how to do that because I, I held so many resentments. I held, you know, I just held all these grudges and all it did was hurt me. Right. The long run. And, and when you free yourself of all of that, I'm sure you've probably read drop the rock. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's what that's about. It's like, just, you gotta, you gotta let that stuff go. Otherwise it, you're not going to move on, you know, in program in life it's going to hold you back and hold you down. Mm-hmm. See, and people think, and people being me, I thought that forgiveness meant that I let you know that it's what you did was okay. It's okay. Right. No, that's mm-hmm. not true. As a matter of no. fact, <clears throat> excuse me, forgiveness, you don't even have to know that I forgave you. It doesn't exactly. have, forgiveness has nothing to do with the person who wronged you. Nothing. It you're right. It's putting that baggage down because you know people people go to bed and, and they're they're talking about how or the better yet they wake up and they're so tired. It's a, it's like because you've been carrying all this stuff that's not yours to carry. You've yep. been carrying all of this stuff that's not even yours to carry. And when you're able to go, oh oh wait that's oh wait that's not mine. Oh. Oh, that's not mine either. The weight that, oh, I just got chills. The weight that comes off of you 
that gives you the energy to do good things for yourself. And it's just, and the other person doesn't have anything to do with forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we invite them back into our lives to, you can forgive someone and never speak to them again, you know, never see them again, but, but you go from, you know, you know, and it, it's, it's kind of cliche, but it's true. You know, forgiveness is, is like drinking poison, hoping the other person will die that, you know, forgiveness is being in, being in this, in this prison cell, recognizing that you've had the key in your pocket the entire time, which is just forgiveness. It's not inviting someone to come let you out. It's not, it's, you know, it's, it's has nothing to do with the other person. Right. And it's not condoning their behavior. It's not, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's not accepting them back and, you know, and people are, it's so misunderstood what forgiveness is. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I used to think along those lines, like, God, if I forgave them, that then they're going to think it's okay to do whatever it is they did, you know, that they wronged me with. And, you know, sticking around the table and listening and learning, you know, taking the cotton out of my ears and putting it in my mouth. <laughs> you know, I learned all these things and it's, it's, it's just such a, it's a beautiful way of life. It's a beautiful way to live. Mm-hmm. I think everybody can use a 12 step program. Oh, me I mean, too. Girl, it's me just, too. it's, it's, it's a beautiful design for life. I heard someone not long ago say that, um, and that just came to memory, that forgiveness is giving up the right for revenge. I like that. For justice. Mm-hmm. Because 99.999% of the time, you were never going to get that anyway. Right. That would have satisfied the hurt. And so that's the, it's, it's like if, if I've carried, because I too was, I was molested, um, by, well, by my dad, but, um, you know, so that again, our, it's strange how our stories, you know, in, in our community are very similar. Um, but, but to, um, to give up the, the right for, for justice, because there is no justice, there is right. no justice that could make that trauma go away. There's none. So to carry that, again, you know, uh, you wonder why it's like people are like, I'm just so tired. Mm-hmm. You've been fighting battles you don't that aren't yours, and you've been carrying things that aren't yours. No wonder you're right. tired. No wonder you're tired. Wiped out. Mm-hmm. Carrying everybody else's rocks around. Mm-hmm. So what, you would you, what would you tell someone who is... Um, Wondering if they're if they're an alcoholic or if they have a problem, as as you had thought, you know, initially going into the rooms, you knew you had a problem. What would you tell that person whose life has become unmanageable? Uh, I don't know that I would tell them anything, but what I would do is ask them, invite, you know, extend the hand of AA, invite them to come sit, just come and listen, mm-hmm. you know, and see what we're about Um, because I don't feel like I can tell somebody in active addiction, anything. Sure. They don't listen. They just, they just don't. I I was one of those people. Mm -hmm. I'll use me as the example. You couldn't tell me anything. I knew it all. I'm fine, you know, but you know, an an invitation is non-threatening. You know, it's like, oh, somebody wants me to go somewhere with them. Mm-hmm. You know, how nice. Um, so that's what I would do. Um, I wouldn't tell anything because I, I know it would fall on deaf ears. I've tried it. Yeah. Well, and, and I like what you said, you know, come in, come in to see what we're all about. You know, there's, <laughs> it just it makes me giggle when. I see people, especially on Facebook or whatever, use AA as a cult, and it's like, oh crap, here we go. They've not been. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> or they I, went and didn't stick around long enough. <laughs> a, you've not been. B, if this is the cult, then you're damn right I'm a member. Because I'm telling you what, this is a way of living that um, I know too many people that you know um, 
are happy, joyous, and free. And that's not just something that rolls off our tongue. You know, I right. am, I am happy every single day of my life. Maybe not all day, every day, but at, throughout each and every day, I find joy. And I know a lot of people who don't do that, you know, right. and, um, you know, you do not have to be religious. You know, you know, AA has nothing to do with religion. Um, you know, this is a, this is a spiritual program that, um, is just beautiful and it's worked for 88 years. Something yeah. is there. I'm just saying something works. And as we say in AA, it works if you work it. Daniel, I'm so grateful that you came onto the show today to talk to me. I'm so happy to well, know thank you. Sister. For having me. You know, we, we may be several st states away, but you know what, on a soul to soul level, sister, I'm just, I'm grateful to know you. I'm grateful to know that there's another um, recover, recovery warrior out there um, helping to spread the message of hope to people that are still suffering, that they don't have to do this alone, and there's hope out there. Well, thank you for having me. You know, it was I had no idea that this was going to be what it was. I thought it was just you and I chit-chatting, but I'm grateful. I'm really grateful that it is this, you know. It's and I, I think, you know, I know in the back in the day, I would have backed out had I known it was something like this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> and, you know, now you just roll with it. You just go with it and do it. And, you know, and if I can help one person because amen. of it, amen. hey, we, we, so worth it. we plant the seed and leave the results to God. That's right. Yes. Well, thank you, sister. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you so much for listening to the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. Keep coming back. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back. This has been a Rogue Media Network 